Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. I'll tell you a real quick uh, testimony. There are some folks that I know in this community that, that actually don't attend this church. However, the witness of this church and the gospel was used mightily to bring them to faith. They were at a wedding uh, back when it was Lord of Life, right? And they got to see the way that you all loved one another. And they heard the gospel presented clearly and articulately in the wedding. And, and that compelled this man to come to faith in Christ. And then they would come the following week or two, and, 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 and it would be a long journey, but this man's been walking with the Lord faithfully ever since. So I'm so thankful for your witness within the community that I've had the joy of, of laboring and being a part of for quite some time. Joe said that we're seeking to plant a church, and, and we are. And, and I'm actually not going to talk a ton about church planting, because quite honestly, I, I, want, I just want to preach the Word. You didn't come here for an update. You came here to hear God's Word, to sit under good Bible teaching, I hope, and to be, to be challenged, to be transformed, and to be encouraged by the Gospel. You know, it's, it's a joy to, to, to be here with you. You know, I think over this past year, many people have been excited to turn the page of 2020. Um, after 10 days in 2021, maybe it wasn't so bad. I don't know. I've, I've personally have found myself daydreaming about the way things, let's say, used to be. And even longing for them. And I don't think that's necessarily all that bad at times. There were great things that we maybe are not able to participate in. There's people joining us online today and we're thankful that you're here um, with us in spirit, even if you're not in person, that you would love to be here, just like the young lady had shared with us. And so there's pieces that we miss. And we, we long for the way things used to be. But, but we don't know when that's coming back or if that's coming back. And so, as I find myself longing for those moments, I also am reminded that God has sovereignly allowed everything that's happened to happen. For His magnifying of His great name. And that He has a plan. And He has a purpose. And so, in His kindness, He draws me back to the fact that like, just like the lyrics we have just sung, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about the magnifying of His name. It's about the building of His church. And He has a plan and a purpose. And so we, we embrace it with grace. And at times when we don't, we ask for forgiveness and we ask for grace to embrace it as we move forward. We need to be reminded that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And, and that nothing is happening that is outside of His control. And He's allowed it. In, in an ultimate sense, we don't know what God's doing in this moment and in this time because we don't fully understand the mind of God. But, but in another sense, we do know what He's doing because His Word has clearly told us what He's doing. Matthew 16-18, Jesus said, right after Peter declared Him to be the Christ, Jesus said to Peter, He said that on that confession, on that Word, on that promise, I will build My church. And that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is what Jesus is doing 
in the world right now. It's what he's been doing since he made that declaration. It is what he'll continue to do until the day that he rips open the sky, steps back into human history, raises the living and the dead, and judges all of humanity. It's what he's doing. And so we don't have to fret, even though in our frailty we do. And if the gates of hell won't stop him from accomplishing his mission, then COVID-19 surely doesn't have much power over him. Right? And so, yeah, we're seeking to plant a church. We must understand the promise that Jesus is making in that Word. And if we did, we would be the most humble, hopeful, courageous people in all the world. We really would. Think about what's being said there. I will build my church. You know, if I say I'm going to build something, it doesn't hold that much weight. It really doesn't. Ask my wife. I try. Sometimes I build it. Sometimes it doesn't stand. But Jesus, Creator of all things, nothing's been created apart from Him. It's all been created through Him and for Him, has declared He'll do something. When He says He'll do something, He does it. And so we can have great confidence in that. But he said then also, he said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, against his church. And I think many times we, we wrongly misunderstand that text. And we think that the church, God's people needs to go on the defense, right? To fend off Satan and demons. But actually, that couldn't be further from what he's saying. Actually, it's the opposite of what's being said in that particular text. Gates are a defensive structure. They're not an offensive weapon. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Therefore, to understand that properly, it's to understand that the church is to be on the offense. We're to go into enemy territory. We're to go with this great Gospel. We're to be courageous. We're to be humbly seeking out those who are lost. Jesus came on His first rescue mission when he, when he invaded earth for the first time and He put on flesh as a baby and He came to seek and save the lost. And He's now doing that through His people. And the gates of hell will not stop us. Think about that. And, and that's not even our text. This is all a lengthy introduction. But I want you to know that Jesus has ripped off the gates essentially at the cross and at the resurrection. And, and they will not hold up against the church because hell has no claim on His people. If you're in Christ, oh, you're as safe as you could ever be. Nothing nor no one could ever snatch you from His hand. He's all-powerful. And He's got you, so be of great courage. Jesus has come to set captives free. And you and I, if we're in Christ, are commissioned to be a part of His plan. Of His redeeming work that He's doing. And that's a joyful thing. That's why I feel very compelled and called by God Almighty to plant a church in Greensburg, Pennsylvania to magnify the great name of Jesus Christ. I've had people say, do you think this is a good time? I think it's always a good time to trust and obey the Lord and His calling. Right? Sinful times, difficult times, sinful people, difficult times, makes for great soil for Gospel ministry. And so I want to encourage you, church, now is the time to, to be courageous, to be bold with your, with your love. I love, as I look here, it says, love God. Love others. Love one another. Love the church and reach the world. You know, you have a great team of elders, and yet that's not theirs. They ripped it right off the Bible, and I'm thankful for that. 
because he's given us a mission statement, and, and that's, that's a great way of saying it. You know, David Helm, who's a, a preacher from, um, well, he's a, he's a church planting preacher. He's, he's quoted saying this one time. He said, church planting is like pulling a toboggan uphill in wet snow, right? And if you've if ever done that, you know that's hard. And if that quote is true, and I'm assuming that it is, then church planting during a pandemic is probably like pulling a toboggan uphill in wet snow with a mask on and, and your glasses steaming up. Right? It's, it's, I'm, I'm sure that there's an added element of challenge, and, I, and I'm, I'm about to find out, and in some ways I found out, and in many ways I have not begun. The problem, as, as silly as that sounds, it actually still makes it sound as though it's possible. That church planting's possible for us. And, and I think if we could actually grasp what Jesus has called us to, we would understand that church planting's not just difficult, it's actually impossible for us to do. I have no ability to plant a church. I can just trust the Lord and pray that He does it. He's the only one who can bring about life. He, if you're sitting here and you know and love Jesus Christ, it's because a miracle has taken place in your heart and your mind when you heard the Gospel presented, the Holy Spirit awakened you to understand and to believe and give you the grace to even repent of sins you didn't even know. And that's what we're praying for. And, and I'm reminded that... that that God has promised that nothing will be impossible with Him. And so that's why we're, we're courageous. That's why we trust Him. That's why we seek to be courageous. Many times I'm a coward. Many times I want to shrink back in fear and not trust Him. I wrestled with that for the last many years. But that brings us to our text for this morning. Matthew 28. You can turn there now if you would, please. I chose this text for a few reasons. One is... It's first, what the church needs always is not a new fresh word. It needs timely truth from the Bible. Always. It's always timely. The Word of God is always living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We need the Word of God because we need truth. We don't live by bread alone, but we live by every Word of God. And so what you and I need is to be reminded of things that we quote-unquote know. But we need to know them and believe them further to the core of who we are. And for that, we need grace. We need help. And so I ask that the Lord would do that. I've been praying for our time together today. The other reason I chose this chapter is I really believe it's one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. I would love to spend nothing more than like three days with you and teach you the chapter. But I only have not that many minutes. I will say this, the reason I think it's one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible is because it begins with the greatest news ever, that Christ has resurrected from the grave, triumphantly. And then because of that triumphal resurrection, it ends with what I would say is the greatest mission ever. And he commissions his, his team. And so look with me, Matthew 28, 16-20, and follow along as I read in your Bible, please. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So my question is, what makes the Great Commission the greatest commandment ever? 
I mean, there's other commissions in the Bible. Why aren't they the greatest? Why didn't they get that title? And I actually have four reasons, I think, that we see within this text that, that I think we can confidently answer that question. And the first point is that it starts with the finished work of Christ. It starts with the finished work of Jesus. Some of the sweetest words ever spoken were from Christ from the cross when He declared that it is finished. This is some of the greatest words ever. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He he died a substitutionary death that you and I deserve to die because of our great rebellion and sin against a holy, righteous, perfect God. And He willingly did this. For the joy that was set before Him, He went to the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God. But because He had no sin, He triumphantly resurrected from the grave. And in doing so, He defeated Satan's sin and death. And and that's why He can say it's finished. So if you're in Christ, (laughs) oh, you're completely forgiven. All your past, present, future sins have been absorbed in Christ. And all that He has for you is love and delight. And if that doesn't make you the cheerfulest person, I don't mean happy, slappy, go lucky, but like, it is well with my soul, like our friend reminded us this morning, then I don't know what else could or would. He says it's finished. And because it's finished, because the hard work of bringing a sinful humanity into the opportunity to come into the presence of a perfect and holy, righteous God, the mission is beginning. That's what he's saying. Now, it had begun long before this. God's always been at work since the creation of the world throughout redemptive history. But Jesus is standing on this mountain and in that moment, and He's telling His men, I've got a mission for you. Not long before this, before Christ went to the cross, He said, it's actually best that I go away so that the Helper will come. And they're like, what do you mean go away? You're going to set up the kingdom, right? Well, Yes, but not the way they thought. He wasn't going to overthrow Rome the way that they had anticipated. It's going to be a little different, boys. And this is the mission He gave them. You know, I love that it starts with they worship Jesus. Because that's where it begins. If you're going to join Christ, be co-laborers with Him to understand this great commission, you and I need to understand it first and foremost begins with a worshipful heart towards the Lord. To love Him. To delight in Him. To enjoy Him. Worshiping Jesus is being satisfied in Him for who He says He is. And for all that He has accomplished. Right? Yes, that's true. But worship is actually the fuel and the aim of all church planting missionary efforts it's the fuel you you don't get to skip past that and just get busy with the work no we need to be delighted with who christ is just like these men on that mountain in that moment a passion for this type of mission disciple making comes only when we have a passion for jesus otherwise you just won't do it It's not an information problem if you don't make disciples. It's a transformation and a love problem. You all know you ought to make disciples. If you've been been here long enough, you know that. And yet many of us may or may not. I don't know you. I don't pretend to know you. I just know what I see as I look around at much of the church culture within America. And I don't see a ton of discipleship happening. 
You know, you and I will get swept up in the Great Commission when you and I have been swept up by the Gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has done. And you and I can't, we can't manufacture that. We just gaze at Him and we ask Him to set our heart aflame, to love Him, to adore Him, to enjoy Him. Because making disciples of Jesus is the overflow of delight in Jesus. It is. And if you get that, I, don't, I can be done. I can go sit down. Because nothing more is needed. But I want you to notice something in this text. This is not some super group, super saint Christian group. I think we wrongly think that when we think about the apostles. Of course they did it. They walked with Jesus. But, but notice it says some doubted. Now think about the context of this situation. They just walked with Jesus for three years. They've watched Him feed thousands with like just a few fishes and a few loaves right he walked on water he he tells the the storm what to do it obeys him he raises Lazarus from the grave and if that's not enough he goes to the cross and he then raises himself from the grave this man has all authority and yet they doubt him and it's I don't think it's some sinful doubt like they're not trusting and believing in Christ but but there there's confusion well, what's going on here? Like, I, we've, been, we've been interacting with you for probably a few weeks at this point. We don't know exactly when he gave this. It's before Acts 1-8, but it's, but it's after probably a week or two after his resurrection from the cross, and yet they're still doubting. Why? Because, well, we'll get to that, but they certainly need power. They doubted. We shouldn't be shocked by that, by the way, you and I, because if, first off, if you just know your own experience, and if you know the Bible, then you know that God has been working from Genesis to Revelation. That God often uses His ordinary people to do extraordinary work of redeeming other ordinary people. The only one who's great is Christ. The rest of us, at best, we're just average. We're just average. But that's who God chooses. <laughs> he just chooses ordinary people to do His extraordinary work. This great commission will not become complete because of some super saints. I promise you. There are none. Not really. I mean, I look at the Apostle Paul and I'm like, that dude's pretty amazing. But he's just a man and dwelt with the Holy Spirit of God obeying the Word of God. That's what he is and that's what we seek to be. It will happen when very ordinary followers of Jesus Christ are captivated by the greatness of God. That's when this will happen. When we worship Him. When we enjoy Him. Because worship is the beginning of the mission, but it's also what sustains the mission, and it is what we will do in the end forever. So worship's the aim, not discipleship making. I would actually say discipleship making is the means about magnifying Jesus' name. And that's why we co-labor with Him so that people who are in the domain of darkness can respond to the Gospel call, come into the kingdom of this marvelous light, and adore Him forever. But it's worship. The Great Commission, be very clear though, is a command, not a suggestion. All too many of us treat it as though it's, it's like we're at the buffet line and we can choose that or not choose that. Add that to our Christian life, not add that to our Christian life. But Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. Christians are born again. Disciples are made. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. 
So that, that's the first reason I think this is the greatest commission, is that it begins with the finished work of Christ. The second point that I would have from that text is Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the second reason I think that this is the greatest commission of all. Think with me about the, what the risen Christ is declaring right here in this moment. And, and how it should give us great courage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The world that we enter, every person, location, and everything is under the authority of the all-powerful, sovereign God, Jesus Christ. He rules and He reigns. That, that means He has authority over COVID-19. He has authority over Democrats and Republicans and the political scene that we have, the elections. It, it means that a bird will not fall from the sky without His authority to do so, and where it lands, it needs permission to do that too. This is the God we worship. This is the God who's calling us to join Him in what we're doing in making disciples. Right? Like, listen to a famous quote from Abraham Kuyper. He says this, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. You may have people in your life right now that you desperately wish would come to saving faith in Christ. And I want you to know He has authority over them. And so pray and ask God to open their eyes to see, to believe, to respond in repentance and faith. And trust Him. Because the God who has all authority has promised to build His church. He, has, you know, he hasn't promised to actually build schools or homeschool co-ops, or, or medical clinics, or, or universities, or, or any kind of service, you know, social service agency, no matter how good that may be, He did not promise to build that, but He has promised to build His church. And so Jesus, with absolute authority, says that He will build His blood-bought church, and therefore we should be of great confidence knowing that because He says that, and because He has all authority, we can trust that He will do it. He'll accomplish the task. But how does He accomplish the task? That's a great question. It's a great question, and the text doesn't leave us without an answer, which is the third point of this text. What makes it the greatest commission ever? That Jesus includes the church in His mission. It's the third point. Listen again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you might be saying, hold on, preacher, doesn't use the word church there. So did he include the church? Well, I would say that if you have a right understanding of the Bible and an understanding of what happens directly after this, he certainly has, because what happens right after this is they go, they wait, they, they pray. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit falls upon the believers. Peter preaches. Thousands get saved. Churches are planted. And a church planting movement sweeps the world. And how do I know that to be true? We're in Indiana, Pennsylvania, worshiping Jesus in 2021. And maybe you're not paying attention. That's how we know it works. That's how we know Christ is doing it. Are you, are you fathom, like, are you in awe of the fact that here you are some 2,000 years later and because of some 
obscure group from Galilee region, we're worshiping Jesus in Indiana, Pennsylvania. I'm thinking that's the ends of the earth. That's amazing. I think too many times we just don't think about it. Of course we are. What do you mean, of course we are? Well, of course we are because Christ said He would do this, and here we are. But this is a stunning reality. Jesus rose, and His Spirit-filled disciples obeyed this command. That's why we're here worshiping Christ. It's grace. It's by grace alone. But it's grace that has empowered these men to, to obey, and these women. There are many women within the disciples, right? So, so the main command here is to make disciples. Make no mistake about it. Discipleship, essentially, I guess it begins with a decision, but the goal is not a decision to see people just say, yes, I received Jesus Christ, and then to go on and live their merry way. No, the, the goal, the aim is to see men and women and children respond in repentance and faith and then to become white-hot worshipers of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. But to make a disciple, you must be a disciple. And so... God help us to do that. What is a disciple? We use these words sometimes. We don't explain them, and everybody's like, yeah, make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? Essentially, a disciple is one who worships Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, who obeys Jesus, and teaches others to do the same. That's what a disciple is. I think sometimes within our culture, maybe the word apprentice would be a better job. I'm an apprentice of Christ. Do you want to be an apprentice of Christ? Let me teach you what that looks like. And, and, and yes, it can happen in this setting. It does happen in this setting. But it should not only and primarily happen in this setting. And it's not just because we have some program that we run people through. We, Christ invites us into His life. So much so He indwells us. And then we invite others into our lives. Discipleship is as simple as teaching others how to love their kids in in the realm of your own home when you're not doing it great. Right? It's, it's showing people what it looks like to repent of sins and ask for forgiveness and receive grace and forgiveness and move forward in grace and forgiveness. It's teaching them how to read the Bible, how to pray, and how to gather, but not just for the sake of gathering, but for the, the sake of scattering and going to the nations. This is what discipleship looks like. And we've made it so programmatic that we just think we can check a few boxes and we're good. It's all-encompassing of your life. It's everything. It's every waking minute. You're making disciples. You're either making good ones or you're making bad ones, but I promise you're making them. Discipleship is the primary task of the New Testament church. Way too many churches have forgotten this and have gotten off track. And I want to be careful because... It's not, there's no perfect church here on earth. We're perfect because of the blood of Christ, but none of us execute perfectly. We need grace, and we need to be gracious with others. But we also need to be honest because that's part of grace. Grace and truth. right? And I believe that God, in His kindness, has exposed a, weak, a weakness, a blind spot within the American church as a whole, I'm not speaking about you or any church even in particular, but just overall. Because we couldn't gather after COVID-19. And I get that, by the way. I, my dad doesn't come to a worship service currently. So if you, 
If you're watching online, thanks for joining. We love you. We're thankful that you're here. I'm, I'm not talking about folks who, who shouldn't gather. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying he exposed the weakness within the church, the fact that we couldn't gather, and it seemed like everything came to a crashing halt because people had regulated everything down to attending a service. And that, that's the blind spot. Many churches scrambled and floundered during this time because they had set up their whole existence on being about a church experience. And when that couldn't happen, many churches floundered. I, I think that the, the, the reason for that, the case for that, is because the church has actually taken on much more of the culture than the culture has actually taken on of the church. And this is a tragedy. And I want you to hear that because the church exists for much more than creating a large attendance with tons of programs that scratch felt needs of consumerism. It's never meant to be about that. The statistics are staggering, by the way. I'll give you three because statistics, you know, like they just fly over people's heads. Let me give you a few. And this is from the latest information I could get. It's not actually the latest. I have a feeling it's much worse. And when it comes out in a few years, we'll know. But there are about 2 million non-church people in America and the number's climbing. This makes America one of the fourth, well actually it makes it the fourth largest nation that is unchurched in the world. I say unchurched, not unreached or unengaged. America is reached because there's gospel witnesses here and it is engaged because there's healthy churches here. But, but when I say unchurched, meaning they're not a part of a local body. Each year, over 4,000 churches close their doors permanently. My guess is that number is going to go up drastically over the next year or two. I could be wrong. Today, approximately, there's approximately about 380,000 churches in America, and four, four out of five of those have plateaued or are declining. And, and I would actually, I'd be very interested to understand that data more. I tried to get more information. I bet it's higher than actually that. And the reason I say that, many of the churches that are growing are actually not growing through conversion. They're growing through just sheep shifting pens, right? Because you've got better coffee. You have a better worship team. The pastor there's funny. And so they don't actually grow because people are coming to faith. They grow because, well, it's more comfortable here. That's a shame. This is why church planting, I am compelled, is utterly important. You know, the word church planting is not used in the Bible, but it's at the heart of what the church does and why it exists. Make no mistake about it. I appreciate how Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert articulated this in their book. Here's how clever their book title is. What is the mission of the church? These are my kind of guys, by the way. Get to the point. The mission of the church is to go, here's, here's the quote, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they may worship and obey Jesus Christ now and into eternity to the glory of the Father. This is why the church exists. Yes, it exists to magnify Christ, but that's how we magnify Him. Yes, it exists to glorify God, but this is how we glorify Him. Therefore, to understand discipleship happening outside of a local church is to have a misunderstanding of the Bible and the church. And it's a strange application, right? The church is not a building that you and I visit or attend, although we give thanks for buildings because we live in a very cold area. And sometimes it gets really hot, and many times it rains. So we give thanks for buildings. 
but it's not the church. I think you guys know this. I know your pastors. Gosh, you know this. I know you know this. But you need to be reminded, the church is a people who are born again by the power of God and are saved from the wrath of God, who have submitted themselves by the grace of God to King Jesus and live life together on mission in the power of God. That's what the church is. It's what we do. It's who we are. If you cut us, that's what we ought to bleed. We must get back to what Jesus has clearly called us to be about. This is what he's called us to be about. If not, be assured of this. The promise that Jesus has made to build his church will still surely happen. I'm thankful that our disobedience has no power to derail his mission. He will accomplish it. It's going to happen. But I want you to know something. It doesn't mean that this generation couldn't be disobedient and we would miss out. We'd miss out greatly. We'd miss out on a great privilege and a great joy to be on mission with Almighty God. And for that reason, I was glad to go. And you may be hearing all of this, and you may be thinking, this is all very overwhelming. I can't do this. And I guess if if that's you, I guess I want to say this. Praise God you finally get it. Praise God, you you finally get it. If you think, I can't do this, what you're talking about, that's just not something I can do. You're finally getting it. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. And He does it through us. We've not been left alone to finish the mission, which is the last and final point. Don't anyone get up, though. Um, I, I will be ending shortly, and, and we all have cues as to when that's going to happen. If you're like, why is he saying that? It's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's a funny one for some. Some it wasn't. The last and final point is Jesus' all-powerful presence is always with us. Oh, thank God. We're not left alone to do this. We can't do this. He does this, but He does it through His church. I'm with you always to the end of the age. By the way, this is not so much a promise as much as it is a declaration and an absolute reality. Think about the difference, right? Jesus has said, I promise I will build my church. That's something He says He's going to do. But in this text, He says, I'm with you always. Always to the end of the age. That's not a promise He's declaring a truth to you. It is. It's reality. It's, it's, it's more of a reality than even what's happening in this moment, in this building right now. Jesus is closer to you than your very own skin. He is in every fiber of who you are. If you're in Christ, He's in you. Therefore, you have power. It's not you building His church. It's Him building His church through you. But yet, we... we gladly, joyfully, hopefully submit and obey and trust that He'll do this work. If not, we grieve Him. You know, we need power. We desperately need power. We cannot be on God's mission without God's power. Without the Holy Spirit being at work in the life of the believer, we can do nothing that is faithful or fruitful in God's eyes. Nothing. However, with the Holy Spirit of God at work in the believer, anything's possible. 
church planting during COVID 2021 certainly possible. It's not hard for him. It's just not hard for him. You know, I've had people say, I can't believe you just leave your job. Like people are dying to get a job. And you had a job, and they were paying you to do the job, and it's the same job you're seeking to do. That's weird. Why would you do that? And, and it's taken every ounce of grace that God has given me to not look at them and say, I don't understand why you wouldn't. But we just must understand them differently. Not everybody goes, but everybody's on mission where you're disobedient. And there's many ways we participate. There's many ways, and the biggest way is to be committed to Christ and committed to your church. <laughs> and I see that here. I love, I love this church. I really do. You're like, yeah, you don't, do you really know us that much? I know Joe, and Joe loves this church, and Joe tells me how much he loves this church, and, and that wears off on me. And, and, and it's not that it doesn't have its problems. It does, because all churches do. But I want you to know, and you know this, the Holy Spirit empowers the church for mission. You know this. That's why I love being here. Right? It's not the frozen chosen. Right? If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Like You trust and know that God, His Spirit is at work in those who believe. And I've seen that evident in your life. So let's look at one text, Acts 1.8, and then I'm going to finish very soon. I'm almost done. I mean that. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, oh God, help us get this. You will receive power. If you're in Christ, you've received power. God's grace not only pardons us from our sins, but empowers us for the mission that He's called us to be a part of. It's not just a pardoning grace. I think many times it's where we terminate. That's where we stop. But it's an empowering grace. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit has the same mission for every local church. To be faithful and bold witnesses. Across the street, and then that ripple effect may go to the ends of the earth. And maybe some of you will actually call to go to the ends of the earth. But my guess is that's not going to be the majority of you, and it doesn't mean you can't be a faithful witness where he has you right now. By the way, IUP has like, I think it was like uh, around 650, 700 international students the last I checked. The ends of the earth have come here. Do you know them? Have you engaged them? And if you haven't, okay, I guess that's okay. But now change. Change. And they're like, well, how do I do that? They couldn't be more helpful. They have a thing called International Friendship Program where you get to essentially uh, get to know a student that goes to IUP, invite them into your home, love them, show hospitality, show them with your life the way you love one another, the way you love Jesus Christ, and then proclaim, share, declare the good news of Jesus Christ, and then trust that God's at work when His, when his words preached, when it's shared, when it's declared. Be a witness to the ends of the earth. I've had joy of getting to know many people through this avenue, and, and I don't always know what that's going to bring, but one time I was in Jerusalem. Yeah, one time. I was only ever there once. It was like for 14 days. It was awesome, but, but it's no more awesome than here, right? Because God rules and reigns over every place. Okay, it's not more special. I didn't feel closer to God there, but I enjoyed it. But I was there, and I got a message from a man named, well, it doesn't matter his name. He's, he was in Jordan, 
And he said, oh, my friend, come see me. And I'm like, oh, my friend, no, but you can come see me. I don't know that area. And I'm not crossing into another country. And, but I want you to know, how did I meet him? I met him at IUP. Met him at IUP. And he saw me. He's a creeper. He saw me on my phone. I took some pictures. He's like, you're in Israel. I'm coming to see you. He's still not trusting in Jesus. But, but the gospel had impacted him because my family took the time to love him. I've had the chance to share the gospel with a Sunni and a Shiite Muslim and let them know with humility and kindness in my voice that there is only one way to heaven. And that one way is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will go to the Father except through Him. And with sadness in my heart and tears welling up in my eyes to let them know that that Muhammad's a false prophet. And, And they heard. And one of them was not happy with me and one wanted to hear more. This is what it means to be a faithful witness to the ends of the earth. And you can do it right here. Christian, if, you, if you're a Christian, you've already received the Holy Spirit. This means that you are empowered for the work of Christ. Practically speaking, that means there's no Christian that is useless for ministry. Not one, not none. None of you. Don't let your shortcomings, your failures, whether they're perceived or real, prevent you from serving your local church. Submit yourself to your elders. Engage yourself in the work here and engage yourself in the work in your neighborhood. And there's much work to be done. Sinners need to be saved. And there's no such thing as a faithful church without bearing witness to the risen Christ and proclaiming the powerful gospel. We play a part and have a responsibility to do this until the day that Jesus returns. And I want to remind you of what that will look like. And so we will finish with a reading from Revelation chapter 9. I'm sorry, 7, verses 9 through 17. Remind yourself where we began. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He will do it. And we know because he's given us a picture of it. So look with me as I finish with this reading and then we will continue our worship service. And and by the way, preaching is worship. Singing is worship. Your life is to be worship. Ask God to help you do that and he will. Revelation 7, 9 through 17 says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. (laughs) I love that. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. 
They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus, who says, I will build my church, has given us a picture of what that day will look like. Until that day comes, be busy worshiping Jesus and be busy reaching the lost and be busy loving your church. Let's do me a pray. Let me pray. I want to pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to declare your truth. And oh God, how I pray that you would minister to the hearts and the minds of the people that are here currently right now. God, you know each and every person here and you love them. So much so that you sent your son to die in their place to redeem them so that they might have life and have life abundantly. And you know what they need. And you are the one who truly ministers to the heart. And so I pray that you would minister to them right now, that you would open their eyes to see any error or sin within their life that keeps them from knowing and loving and enjoying you and being on mission for you. And Lord, that you'd give them the grace to to turn from that and to fling themselves upon this mercy seat of grace where we always constantly live because of the blood of Christ that covers all our sins as far as the east is to the west. You see no more because you are a holy, righteous, merciful, and graceful God. Thank you. Oh God, I pray you would empower your people here at Saving Grace to magnify the great name of Jesus with their lives. And may you be magnified. We ask this in Christ's name.